Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Welcome back, everybody, to the Business Chef Podcast. I, of course, am Chef Sean Boucher, and I'm excited to talk to you today. Excited to share with you some of the human experience. And my good man, my good man, Mr. Carl Sokia is here with us. Carl and I have known each other for a long time. Um, We've got a lot of respect for him. He has stepped out on his own with six kids and no idea on how exactly it's going to happen. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, that takes a lot of faith, a lot of fortitude, and (laughs) a little bit of crazy. So I think you'll find, though, when in in talking to Carl, that he's got a vision, he's got a purpose, he's got a lot of things going for him that maybe a lot of people who step on on their own don't. But he does, for sure. And he's about as authentic as they come. So without further ado, let's learn a little bit about Carl Sokia and his journey into hospitality. I, I found out that I was really good at hospitality. It's really, it came very natural to me. I was very, uh, you know, I had, I had a pretty engaging personality. I was very friendly. Um, I was helpful. And I, I had an attitude of servitude. I didn't mind serving anybody. I'd scrub your toilets. I'd, I'd carry your bags. I'd, I'd laugh with you. And I, I found hospitality was a good kind of niche for me. And it just, the more I really worked at it, the more they kept promoting me and giving me opportunities. And that dovetailed into a career in HR. Uh, another gentleman came and said, I want to give you a job in HR. And I said, what's HR? And uh, yeah, the rest is history. He gave me a job in HR and it just kind of went HR opportunity to HR opportunity. I worked for Starwood Hotels and Resorts and uh, worked out in Colorado, out in Kauai, Hawaii. I uh, got some union experience out in Kauai. And, um, and then also worked in Maui for Hilton for a year and then circled back again to Utah. I had the opportunity to to run HR for a company called Grand America Hotels and Resorts that you and I both worked for at different periods in our, our careers. And uh, that was it. I did that. And then this last April, I decided to go on my own independent because I, I'm a true believer in what I call the human experience. And it's really, you know, you look at the future of work and the future of our communities. There's a lot of challenge going on. You read Twitter, you read Facebook. There's people fighting with one another. There's a lot of negativity People are lost. They don't know who they are. Businesses aren't always making the right choices when it comes to their people. People are having their own mental problems and mental health issues and and challenges in their families and communities at home. And I I woke up one day last October and just said, I want to help people with that. I want to help them in the the workplace, but I want that to translate out of the workplace in their homes. How can I find a job where I impact people at work, in their communities, in their homes, with their families? And I didn't know of any jobs that did that. And so I said, well, I better start my own company. So I did. April broke off and created a company called Experience Management Solutions, and I've been doing that since April 2019 and having a blast just out speaking about being your best self, uh, you know, having a positive life and surrounding yourself with great people, understanding your own intrinsic human value, and just being a good human being. And that's that's what brought us here today, brother. That's kind of my my uh, you know going through the hustle. It was it was tough, you know, getting to that place. And it's funny because you you start at the bottom, and then you get to the top, and you're there. And then you're in this big cush office making a ton of money. And I've got six kids, six daughters, my beautiful wife, you know, married for 13 years and our six girls. And, and you think, wow, I've made it. I've got this big cushy office, great job, great team, beautiful house. I've got the white picket fence, the two dogs, beautiful girls. And 
something was still missing and this is what was missing. And so I said, time to start back at the bottom, you know, and then just create this all from nothing. So you go from making six figures to like no figures <laughs> in no time. So that's kind of, I guess, the summary of, of my grind and where I've come from, but I'm a big believer in what I'm doing and, and this thing we call human experience. And so we're just going to, you know, kind of live this thing out and see where it takes us. And that's, I think, a big part of what we talk about on the show a lot is that you just don't always know the next step. But yeah. it's, it's kind of taking that step where you really kind of jump off the cliff and either fly or fall. Absolutely. And that's kind of where you're at now. But yeah. one of the things I want to talk about, because I think this really affects, especially those in more of the big bureaucratic organizations, is in food service particularly, we... And I, I say we because I've got experience in those as well. Um, I One of the things that drives me nuts is that especially if I'm in like a hospital setting or I'm in one of these bureaucratic kind of, you know, everything is a ton of paperwork and everything right. is way longer than it needs to be. I can speak to a couple of scenarios where we have been in dire need of people to come work in the hospitality portion. Absolutely. Of it, whether that's in the kitchen or whether that's cleaning rooms or whatever it might be. Right. And you just can't get people. And part of it is you find these people, you interview them, they're great candidates. And then for some reason it takes four to six weeks to get them through the door. Right. Tell me about your, your feelings on that. Why is it that way? What, what is it that we can do differently to maybe not have some of those struggles? You know, I think there's a couple of challenges. I think it's multidimensional. I don't know if there's one solution toward that when it comes to people, because I think there's a generation generational change. I think there's a culture change that's going on. And I think there's a, there's a huge shift in industry change, you know, and I think, so if I take each one of those generationally, you'd have my, I mean, the industrial revolution and the industrialists and these people that are traditionalists, my grandfather's age, that, I mean, even my grandfather and older, they were out working in steel mills and coal mines and they were just trying to put food on the table and that was their whole mentality. It was, I'm lucky I have a job and I can put bacon on the table. So that was their whole mindset. It's not, let's mess around and choose jobs. It's, hey, I'm lucky to have something. I'm just going to go grind. I mean, people didn't like making steel. They didn't like going to coal mines and getting the black lung, right? right? I mean, they didn't like these things, but they had to do it for their family to survive. Then the next generation that came along was really your baby boomers. And that was our parents who, you know, my mom and dad would both, both work and they would each, their goal was to maybe learn from what their parents weren't able to do, maybe with savings and, and, you know, some of those other things that they, they were just making money and then it came time to retire and they didn't have anything. And they didn't get these experiences. They were kind of just kind of bound to their home. Some of them lost their homes. So they said, we're going to go out and do a, be a, a dual income in our home, make this money, pay down our, our mortgage, you know, save some money, pay for our kids' college and do that kind of, but still put food on the table and do the things we need to do, try and give our kids the things we can. But we missed our parents. We didn't see them all the time. So then you have our generation, these, I mean, really Gen X slash millennials. We were the MTV generation. We loved entertainment. We were raised by entertainment. Our kids, were, our parents were working. We're raised by Nirvana. We're raised by MTV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, we're raised by right. television shows. That was it. And technology started to get introduced. You know, I'm pagers and 911 me and so on. That was kind of our introduction into that world. Well, we didn't have parents in the home as much because they were out working and grinding. But I think it was a safer area at the time. So we we're out. You could, you know, ride off and be gone at eight in the morning and not see your parents till 10 o'clock at night. And everything was fine. And that was kind of the nature of the you know generation we were in. Well, now you've got millennials now that have that are going to take over fifty to sixty percent of the workforce here in this next two years. That's a totally different ballgame. They're all about technology, and they're not about social interaction. And so a lot of those, a lot of that mentality is, hey, either you treat me well, or I'm out the door. I'm getting, you know, I'm going to go find somewhere else to go. And 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 the Gen X and and the baby boomers aren't used to that. Baby boomers, especially, they're going, hey. 
you know, I was treated poorly, but I, yeah, you just kind of do the job. Maybe I transition a couple times. Grandpa's like, I worked 55 years for the same company. I ain't going nowhere. These guys are like, hey, I'll give you three months and you prove yourself or I'm out. But then you've got the Centennials. They're just the ones that have graduated in this last two years. They're a wild card. Like, they don't know if they want to work. Why don't they want to work? I'm like, how can I just figure out how to travel and take pictures of myself, put them on the internet and monetize my life that way? That's a totally different ballgame. So when you look at that generational piece, it's changed the way that we have to look at people. But yet, if you ever watch the movie Moneyball, this is something I just watched over the weekend. There's this scene in Moneyball where first Billy Bean's character, Brad Pitt, walks in and they just lost their biggest, I mean, some of their biggest players for the Oakland A's go to the Boston Red Sox and so on, they're gone. And they're all sitting around the table trying to strategize about what they do next. They've got a 30, 30 something million dollar budget compared to like the Yankees, $180 million budget. So they're trying to really, you know, they're trying to get wine on a beer budget per se. And they, they're all trying to sit around and figure it out. And Billy Bean has this really pivotal moment where he says, you guys are asking the wrong questions. You guys are looking at the wrong things and they, they get really offended. I'm, I've got 55 years of baseball experience and I've been a scout for all these years. And he said, you're wrong. You're looking at it all wrong. That's what everybody else is looking at. You're looking at the wrong things. And he says, he goes on to say, he, he introduced this whole concept of sabermetrics, which is all about the data. So you need this many, you know, this RBI, if they can get on base, whatever all this stuff is. And baseball rejects it. They've been rejecting it for years. They've heard about this crazy thing called sabermetrics. Well, they end up having an incredible team that year. Not only that, it influences the Boston Red Sox. They're fascinated by this whole study. They go and actually pay the guy that created sabermetrics, bring him on board, and two years later, they break the big, they break the big curse and win a championship. But it's because they were willing to think differently. Going back to this generational change, I think there's organizations that aren't equipped to think differently. They're just getting really frustrated because they're going to continue looking for housekeepers by saying, well, we used to go out to West Valley City, Utah, or we'll go down to, you know, Rose Park, and we're going to go out and really try to get these hardworking, you know, ethnic, diverse men and women to go grind who are willing to do that kind of work. And those people aren't there. But then they're going, okay, well, let's just work. Let's go more often. And it's like, no, you're asking the wrong questions. It's, and in my opinion, you've got to say, okay, now is it, is it the, the lack of people that's going to, you're going to blame as your problem? Because you still need to have people cleaning rooms or now you need to take a step back and look at your entire problem and say, how do I take this job description and blow it up? And how can I find pieces of this? And how do I include maybe non-traditional ways of recruitment for this kind of role? So one of the big things we look at is in housekeeping, you're probably in the most intimate space in anybody's life. You're in their bathroom, you're in their bedroom, you're in these old intimate spaces. They're putting their jewelry out. They've got all these things. So would you ever hire a felon? Ooh, that's that's a great question. But I'll tell you what, a lot of felons can't get jobs. Maybe you need to rethink the way that you do business and you just say, well, maybe there's a way that we can make this work. Well, in reality, in the reality is, is that, you know, if I go to one of these places, I'm basically, you know, say I go to a four star or four diamond hotel. Sure. I'm trusting that hotel to take care of my belongings sure. while they're in in their care in that right. room. I don't necessarily care how they do it. Right. I just care that it happens. Right. And so as long as that happens, I don't really need to know if it's a felon. And I really sure. don't care because at the end of the day, nothing was taken. Sure. And so I, it doesn't matter. So I, I think you make a great point that I think too many times we think that something is a reality when in reality, it's not. Right. And so you look at this kind of thing and you're not going to attract the same kind of talent you were 10, 20 years ago. It's just not going to happen. They're not here. And there's, there's all kinds of immigration laws where a lot of that population is not even here anymore. Oh, absolutely. They just don't exist. Yeah, E-Verified totally changed It changed the game in hospitality because you had all these grinders that have been here for 30 years working and they're not even here anymore. And so 
I look at that as, as far as the, 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 that tackles really your generational piece. I think it tackles, tackles the cultural piece. Now I want to get to the third thing I mentioned, which is the industrial piece. Industries are changing. It used to be, well, you know, hotels kind of are fun. You put up a five-star, you know, five-star, five-diamond hotel, you know, a three-star Michelin restaurant. Those are attractive to people who love hospitality. But these younger generations are, are, aren't really introduced the same way into our industry as they were in the past. Take the school tour, go around, well, this is great, kind of fall into it for a summer job and so on. Now all they're seeing is, wow, I can be an influencer and make, you know, six to seven figures by taking video of myself going to Paris and talking about how I do it and and going online and finding luggage and, and rating luggage and, and doing these YouTube videos of how great the luggage is and all these really easy ways to do work. They're attracted to that. They're also attracted to a lot of businesses that are that are in tech that look really sexy and they sound sexy and they, they want to be a you know Adobe comes in and well boom everybody wants to work for Adobe and you used to be the Goldman Sachs of the world and so on and now they're not but I also think we're also going through a shift even in that in nature because I, I don't see as many people they're going I could go to a, co- a college recruitment fair and I used to be able to say oh yeah great hey you can find a great career here anybody you don't have to have a college degree like there's all these barriers you don't have to go through in hospitality you just have to be good at serving people put a big smile on your face and be patient you can get your career blown up and I think that's still attractive to some people, but some people will always want to give give it the bigger piece a shot. Like I want to go work at, you know, you know, the tech company. I want to go work at Qualtrics and see where that thing takes me. And then it'll take a little while and then they're going to realize that their motivations aren't being met. That's not who they are. And they're going to default back and they're going to try and figure it out. I have a lot of people reach out going, okay, I've been in sales for, you know, 10 years and now I'm lost in my career. What do I do? And everybody wants to be in hospitality. And I'm like, good. You can, you can make a kill. I was making, I have no, I got kicked out of two high schools. Do I have a college degree? And I made a killing in hospitality in different states, but it wasn't. I always tell people, you want to know people, you know what the secret is? Be nice, be kind to people, love them, be willing to serve them. You know, try to find ways, be creative, be an FIO and figure things out. You can go, I mean, you can go anywhere in the world. That's the beauty of it is the jobs are plentiful when it comes to hospitality and you can grow your career so fast, you know, and tech does it too, where they bounce around and kind of go back and forth. But there's something to be said about hospitality. But I also think a lot of people that don't have the education, if you've got to fill any background, I think people with disabilities, I think the military, we've got to be smart about how we go and cater to the areas that are still clamoring and looking for jobs, and we're not willing to give them a shot. I mean, disability is 88. That's a nightmare. People will never tell you they don't want to hire somebody, but I can tell you people are thinking it. They're going, ugh. I don't how to put a ramp here. I have to do this, and I've got to get a different special keyboard and give them all these accommodations, and they're not wanting to do it. Well, guess what? You might want to do it. You might want to break things up and say, well, maybe they can't do all of the jobs of a housekeeper, but is there four things that they can do, and can they do that for 500 rooms? So then I hire two people that are doing two skills, but it takes them a full day, and they're reimagining their jobs. And then guess what? You've knocked those two things out, but you've got people, right? Yeah. And then you take two more things and give them to two other people, and then you, you blow it up and recreate it, and don't look at the way you've been doing it, because what got you here is not going to get you there. And that's why we've got to think about a lot of these things in the job market, especially hospitality, food and beverage. These are people were going gung ho crazy when Hell's Kitchen came out. I want to work in a kitchen. Oh, I want to be a. And then they worked on a line, and they're like, "This sucks, right?" I mean, <laughs> this I, is not nearly as glamorous. It's because they th- saw the glamour. Like, well, you got to be really creative, and you do this, and you're watching. You know, I mean, what's the what's the name of the show that they've got on Netflix where it's like hated it or hit it or miss it or whatever? And it's just they're making these cakes, and it's like that's really cool. My kids are like, I want to be, I want to be a chef, and I'm like, no, you don't. You know, it's <laughs> you think it's going. You're waking up at three o'clock every morning. It's a you know thankless job. You're grinding. You're hustling. You're I mean, it's just wacky. The whole thing is hard. doesn't mean it's not a great job. 
It's just not what you probably think it is. Well, you've got to be passionate about it. And yes. I think that's what a lot of times is that people think they're passionate about it because they see the upsides, but they have never experienced the downsides. They've right. never had to work every night, weekend, holiday. Yeah. They've never had to be away from their family for extended periods of time right. where you're going to work before the kids get up and yep. you're also coming home after they go down. That's right. And you're just not seeing them. And so I think to your point about thinking about things differently, we as an industry also have to think differently about how we treat employees totally. and how we recruit and how we do these things because yes, we're, we're in need of people. And yes, there's a shortage of talent out there. There's a war on talent. There's, yep. there's a, a challenge that is not easily met, but we're not going to meet it by just saying, well, this is what we've done in the past. We've right. got to do things differently. So talk a little bit about what it is that you do in your niche. What What is the human experience and what do you do for people? I love that segue. Thank you for this opportunity because this is something I'm very passionate. I mean, I left a big six-figure, glamorous, cushy job to preach this message. So thanks for sharing this because what it is that I talk about is what I call the experience ecosystem. It's something I've built, modeled on an old 1994 kind of way of doing business. And so in 1994, there was this concept that was introduced on Harvard Business Review called the Service Profit Chain. And what it essentially said is if if you give your teams the right components, you give them the right budgets and the right tools and everything they need, get the right leaders, that's gonna drive your customer satisfaction. I mean, I'm sorry, your employee satisfaction. If your employee engagement scores are good and they feel engaged, that's gonna drive your customer satisfaction. And if your customer satisfaction is good, that's gonna you know create revenues and then you just do this whole cycle over and over again. And it's kind of based, and that concept went wild. Companies started using it, manufacturing started using it, and they found a lot of success. What's happened, I think, over the last 20, 30 years is people have been so dialed in on revenues and productivity measures and drivers and you know profitability and, and the stock market and, and all these different you know, people that are, are all stakeholders in your business, you forget about the people, right? Which is what you're alluding to. Absolutely. And I think that's where I said, we need to remember the people and we need to work on the people. And it was really funny. I just saw in Silicon Valley, um, all these big CEOs just signed this big, this big agreement saying the future of their business, what they were going to do is they're going to focus on the people. You know, it's not the stakeholders, not all these people. It's going to be about their people, you know, stakeholders too, but you know, their people are going to come first and they all signed this. And it was like, Apple and all these huge corporations. And I was thinking my first thought, my dad sends me this article and says, Hey, look, there's a hundred CEOs that have all signed this agreement. And I said, so they weren't doing that before. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big indictment on yourself. Like, right. Hey, now what we're going to do is we're all going to come together and we're going to care about our people. And I'm thinking, Oh, so you're admitting that you weren't caring about them before. Right. So, so now that we have to, now that we've been forced to, yeah, let me, let me do this. And then I, and then I said that to my dad at first and I said, the second part is, this is great for marketing. I want to see it happen. It's just like when companies go out and they, they put the rainbow, you know, the gay pride, you know, flag on their logo. And all that. that's great. I'm glad Nike came out with a shoe that has all these rainbows for the gay community. What are you doing behind the doors? What are you doing with the right. people that are having the challenge? That's where it's, it's, I mean, that's where, you know, rubber hits the road. And that's what I want to see. I mean, that's great that they do these things for awareness and Black History Month. And I appreciate all of that. But don't let it just be a soundbite. I want to make sure that you're doing this when nobody's watching in the hallways of your organization, with your food and beverage. You know, if you really care about people's ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, are you having some of them cook your employee meals and talk about where their food comes from and take pride in that kind of stuff? You know, do you do that or do you say, no, we're going to keep getting ordering the same food and do the same thing, or we don't even offer food to our people? You know, whatever it is, you know, your people create your culture. And that's where I think people get so lost is they say, you know, oh, we need to create the culture. We're going to put in massage chairs and we're going to do neon lights and we're going to have, you know, Funky Friday and everybody can wear cool hats. And they think they, they mistake that for culture 
When your culture is organic, it's the people that you have, it's the attitudes, the way your leadership drives the, the team. All these things culminate and make your culture. It's organic. You can't make it. You can only try to control it by who you've got in the right spots and how you lead from the top down and, and share expectations and manage and so on. So when you, when you look at those components, I've created this, in, this experience ecosystem. So this is what I believe kind of based on that principle. The first thing, the most important thing within an organization and a business is the leader you hire. So Gallup just came out with a book called It's the Manager, right? So this book is 700 pages long. It's got Gallup research for 10, 12 years. And the CEO of Gallup, the president of Gallup, actually comes out and has a quote. And I don't have the exact quote, so I'm going to paraphrase this. But what he says is, he says in this book, the, 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 if you make a mistake hiring the manager, nothing that you do in the rest of your organization will ever compensate for that mistake. Not how much you pay people, not the benefits you provide them, nothing. Failure to hire the right leader, cannot you can't make up for it. So you've got to be smarter about you know, getting good leaders. So the question I ask is, how are, you, how are you now looking for leaders? Well, they've got a Harvard degree. I don't care. Is that really what me, how you measure a great leader? And, it, and some people it is. Where's your degree from? What companies have you worked? Well, you have Goldman Sachs on your resume. You have Harvard degree, back, pedigree, background. You know, you know three you know, vice presidents of other companies and they've written you letters. That is the price of entry. But I'll tell you what, I, I've seen and I, I happen to know in my circle of, of influence and love and friends, I was raised in an area where I was surrounded by, by young people that were selling drugs, that were gang members. And I'll tell you what, some of the skills that they have as gang members and drug dealers I would rival some managers I've met and, and business owners that I've met. I'll tell you, when you're, when you're an actual drug dealer, you have to have your own corner, you've got your own product, you've got your own employees, you've got your own competitors, and you have, to, and you have somebody, a stakeholder, that's telling you, stakeholders are a lot tougher there than they are on Wall Street. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you don't get your product moved, you're going to get killed. Yeah. If somebody comes on your corner, it's very extreme, and you're having to go recruit, and you're having to do it all under the radar. That's pretty phenomenal if you really look at it. Their, their savvy in business is quite the skill. Now, I'm not going out and condoning that that's the way you know we still all become leaders, but does anybody take that human experience into account? I mean, it's great. You get schooling. I get schooling. And schooling, I never put school down because I don't have a college education. I think school is great for some people. For me, I don't think it's really the way because I don't really retain a ton of information. I'll tell you, I take science class. I didn't care. I just go get an A on the test and then I dump all the data. I took a history class in like a week online and I did the entire course in a week. And I thought, what? Did, they got my money, and I got the credit, but what did I really grow from that? Right, so, what did I get out but of we, it? That's where we place value. So I think really reassessing the way we choose leaders is going to be huge, because they say that the leader, most important decision you're going to make is the people you got in leadership positions. So then the second thing on that, so the leadership experience is something I focus on, and I try to work with organizations on who are you in your leadership positions. Maybe it's not great to have that tenure of 30 or 40 years as a leader, and I say that for myself. I, I, I stepped down from my position, right? In a company where executives work for that company, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you work for this organization, you know who they are. Oh, and, and it's not that that's a bad thing. It's not my, that's not my opinion on how people should go. I think you get in, you do your four, five, six, seven years at the most and get out. Get out, find another role with another company or even in the same company, a different position and get somebody else with a fresh set of eyes, fresh set of ideas, get them in there. Because, I mean, it's just like everything else. You, did you drive your car a million miles on one, you know, on one thing of oil? No, because you got to change it out. You got to get fresh looks. You got to get clean, clean, you know, clean stuff running through the veins. You know, it's just, it's the way we are. And I think that's how we got to be as a business. You got to transition some people out to get a fresh perspective, especially if it's not working. So in that space, I look at the leadership. 
Then the second thing I focus on is your employee experience. Okay. So what a lot of people know, so it's leadership driving the, it drives your employee experience. Your employee experience is a very interesting one because I think this actually has a lot to do with where we are today as far as a lot of those things we just spoke about with generational changes and, and ethnic changes and so on with diversity and so on. Diversity and inclusion, huge topic. But employee engagement, what happens is in the past, we've always had this, this leadership ideology where it's a blanket concept. I'm going to come in. I'm going to treat you all the same way. You're going to do the same thing, same set of expectations, and you get measured once a year on this same barrier. All of us are different. Sean is different than Carl is different than Josh is different than anybody. We're all different. And so you've got to be able to be flexible and agile in managing each person individually. Now, what, what makes it so that you can't do that? Meetings, emails, phone call, administrative duties. Those can all be streamlined. They should be streamlined, but instead they're comfortable. Yeah. I can sit in my office all day. I can answer emails and I can justify it. I was in my email. I was doing my emails. I was calling people. I was, uh, and you can justify it. And I go, oh, you, were, you worked a full eight hour day. I mean, it's, but you're not being productive. You're not really doing the things that need to be. Where should you be? With your people. On the line, teaching them cooking skills, right? Sitting there telling them how good they did. Out talking to the, the people that are in our restaurants saying, how is the food? You know, why did you come here? How'd you hear about it? I'm the chef. Thanks for coming. It means a lot. You could have chosen anywhere. Bring your kids back. I'd love to celebrate your birthday. That's where your time is going to be well spent, mm-hmm. but it's not comfortable. You don't want to be on the giving bad news or trying to teach people. It's easier to sit and answer your emails or sit in your office or go to meetings or do whatever. So it's not comfortable. So in, in doing that, I think the employee experience is going to be based on the future of work is going to be based on how you understand people at a very much deeper level, your employees, your customers, whatever. We'll talk about the employees. Now you've got to understand who Sean Boucher is at work and away from work. We used to say, come to work, do your work, punch in. Don't talk about your personal life. Don't talk about religion, politics, all that stuff. You just go home. Uh, The president of the United States is talking about life all the time. He's on Twitter 24 hours a day. You don't think our employees are going to do it? What did they say that after, um, after, uh, what's this movie or the TV show on HBO, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones comes out with its final season. They said that the productivity was like forecasted to drop like some (laughs) incredible percentage points because everybody's going to be talking about it work on the next Monday. And they're probably right. But you've got to prepare for that because I'll tell you what, if Sally's got a child at home sick, Sally ain't worried about the payroll. Sally's freaking out about her kid while trying to do the payroll. How do we help Sally, right? And I think we've got to be able to invite people to bring their whole human to work and we've got to be prepared to help them with every aspect of their life. And I know people don't want to take that on, but you've got to. You've got to have better, better systems and better things in place, better benefits programs, better opportunities that are proactive, that are helping people. So I'm not worried about my son and his drug addiction you know, and where he is today, I can focus on work and being with my people and so on. But if you've got measures in place to help them with those things, they've got somebody to talk to. And I think HR is a big part of this problem. I think HR is probably established for that, but they don't know what we're, we don't know what we're doing. And I think that's where we've got a big opportunity to help our companies is we're running payroll and we're doing training and we're doing recruiting and we're doing all the ancillary things HR does when really our, our true space is in what I call this value called people-tivity. And this is where the leadership experience drives your employee experience is through people-tivity. Okay. So people-tivity is where HR should focus on, leaders should focus on. And I'll give you an example of why this is where leaders are going to be loyal or uh, employers are going to be loyal to. You can't, you don't only see the top of their iceberg, you see the bottom. You understand who they are and why they are the way they are. It's going to be magic. And you do that about your leader too. It's going to mean so much more than just your Carl that I work with and I know nothing about. It's going to create such a bond and it's going to create great workplaces. There was just absolutely too much goodness to not break it into another show. (laughs) So, join us again next week as we continue our conversation with Mr. Carl Sokia, the man, 
the myth, the legend. We'll see you next week. podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.